0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, i got to tell you, this morning I'm pretty excited. I, uh, I'm not even sure how much I should share with you because it's really pretty confidential right now, but um, it's just, I, just, it's just, I just can't keep it in. Because there's just like this thing. I got this email this week. And evidently, there's been some malfeasance in the government of Nigeria. And they're looking for an overseas partner. And, and you know, if I will just send them my bank account and my social security number, they are going to give me like two and a half million dollars. Yeah. I mean, you know, I just, I can't, it says it's strictly confidential, but I just can't keep that to myself. And I got to admit, I'm a little skeptical about it, but I was reading the email, and it says right here, this transaction is 100% safe. (laughs) It's like, I can't lose. I mean, that's going to drastically change my whole financial picture. I just just can't believe it. You're looking at me like you don't believe this. (laughs) You're skeptical. You don't think that's true? Of course it's not true. (laughs) And if we're smart, we know better. Or at least we ought to know better. But you know what I was looking online? In this last year, over $100 million in funds has been lost in the United States alone to this scam. Just in this last year. We ought to know better. I mean, we're taught from an early age as we grow up. You know, don't 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 believe everything you hear. I mean, there's certain sayings that we were taught as you were growing up as a kid. Now understand? You know, this stuff doesn't kind of happen to you. Nobody gives away something for nothing. In fact, I could probably start the sentence, and you could finish it for me. Let's try it this morning. There's no such thing as a free lunch. You get what you pay for. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. <laughs> we all know that. We all know that. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Nobody gives away something for nothing. There's always a catch. There's always something attached to it. And yet in the middle of all that, in the face of all that, and all that we have been taught, God comes along and He says, I have a gift for you. I have this gift called grace. It is freedom. It's a freedom from your past. It's a freedom from sin and its bondage. It's given freely... In the grace of Christ, it is free to anyone who will ask and anyone who will trust will be able to live now this life of freedom. Freedom is a very important word in the New Testament. It is throughout, particularly in Paul's writings, the Apostle Paul wrote all of these letters to churches all around the Mediterranean. And he wrote them about this freedom that we have. In fact, his letter to the Galatian churches is is like the premier teaching on freedom. In a little four-page letter, ten times he uses the word free, freedom, freely. We're meant to live in freedom. And yet because we are so used to being skeptical about this stuff and we don't believe there's any such thing as a free lunch, we have a hard time understanding and accepting, much less living this free life. But Paul says, don't give up on it. He wrote to the Galatian churches, Chapter 1, verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, and now say it again, If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. He says, Christ has brought you freedom and grace. Why would you give that up? Why would you you forsake that and take on something else? Because we have a hard time believing that anything that incredible could be so free. It just doesn't compute in our brains. And because of that, we have this great difficulty. Paul says, don't give up on it. Don't sacrifice the freedom you've been given in Christ. But he also understands there are reasons why we get trapped. We, we, there's reasons why we give up that thing. That freedom. We get trapped in these other things. And that's what he begins this letter all about. He says, don't give up. Recognize the trappings that will keep you from living this life. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking through this whole letter to the Galatian churches and what Paul has to say about living this free life. But he starts off the letter where I want to start this morning saying, watch out for the traps. Because they are common to all of us. There are traps that will hinder us from living this life of freedom that God intended us for live. And sure as anything else, they are nothing but a trap. And they will hinder you, and they'll keep you from experiencing the real freedom that God has for you. So we're going to look at some of those traps this morning. The first one he talks about is the trap of religious performance. It's the religious performance trap. And it basically goes this. It is trying to earn favor with God by means of of ritual or rule-keeping. It is somehow trying to earn and get from God something that that, that can only be done by my own effort. And most of this is shame-based, okay? It is this general feeling of not measuring up. I ought to be better. I ought to be better. I don't just don't quite measure up. And because of that, we feel like we ought to try harder. We got to do more. Did your parents ever do this to you? You bring home a report card. If you had a C, you know, they'd say, you know, if you tried a little bit harder, if you'd apply yourself, you could bring that C up to a B. And if you came home with B's, what did they say? If you try a little bit harder, if you'd really apply yourself, I know you could get an A. And if you came home with straight A, which I don't know if any of you did, but if you came home with straight A's, they probably said something along the lines of, well, you know what? If you'd taken real hard classes, then you would have learned something. You know, it's always... A little bit more. Try a little bit harder. Apply yourself. Work at this a bit more. And we carry that right over into our life with Christ. Because we have this general feeling of shame that we don't quite measure up. So try harder. Pray more. Fast more. Read your Bible more. Go to church more. Study more. More, 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 more. Because it's never enough. Paul said, some people are trying to throw you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And that's what it is. It's a perversion. It's perverting the grace and freedom that God has given to us. Paul had a group of critics called what he called the Judaizers. There were people who would come along behind him after he preached. And this was one of the first areas of ministry that he'd ever established a church in. These are some of the, the most... Should have been most established Christians that he 'd ever had time with, because he 'd spent more time with them they 'd been in the faith a lot longer, but there were people who came along behind him and said, well, if you 're really a Christian, if you are really a christ follower, then you 're going to do this, 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 and not that, that, that and paul said that 's a perversion that 's not the freedom that God brought you in Christ. In fact, he says, Have you lost your senses?" After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, are you now trying to become become perfect by your own human effort? You can't do it. You just can't do it. And you become frustrated by all of it. And and, and it's it's a view or or an image of God as being this taskmaster or or, or an evaluator. It's like God is a, a celestial Simon Cowell, you know? It's like, well, that was pretty good. But if you want to stay in this competition, you gotta do better next week. You gotta up your game. You gotta go back and practice. You gotta do better. You gotta and, it, and it's this picture of God that He's constantly evaluating and judging my performance. Now, if you want to stay in the game, you gotta up it up. Gotta do harder, gotta try better. And a lot of Christians I know live under this burden this burden of performance. Because we don't feel like we measure up, so there's somehow we've got to do something to make it better. And if we're good at it, we get a little bit prideful about the whole thing. Because after all, I'm doing it, why can't you? And we expect everybody else to live up to our expectations. Or if we're not doing good at it, we feel like a failure, and we're never going to measure up, and so we're frustrated by it. And whether it is pride or frustration, both of them are dead ends. And Paul says, he can tell you from his own experience. He talks about his own experience beginning in verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, the gospel that I preach is not something man-made up. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Christ Jesus. As you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. But when God who set me apart by birth and called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. I went immediately to Arabia and then later returned to Damascus. And after three years I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith as he once tried to destroy it. And they praised God because of me. He said, I've been down that road. I know the religious performance routine. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Among my people, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He said, I was good at it. Not only did I know it, I was good at it. I can relate to Paul. Because for about the first 20, 25 years of my life as a Christian, it was all about performance. I grew up in Sunday school. I won every contest. I memorized every scripture verse. Every memory verse that we had. I got the gold stars to prove it. (laughs) I got the perfect attendance ribbons. You know, I got everything that could say, he's a good Christian boy. Dying on the inside. Because I thought it was all about memorizing and studying and learning and filling in the blanks and having the right answers and winning the prizes. It's not. Paul said, I've been down that road. And it's a dead end. I could tell you all about performance religion because I have did it most of my life. And it's a nowhere street. See, the solution is a grace-based solution spiritual formation it's a relationship it's learning to spend time with god and do life in relationship with him in fact he says the very first thing when god got a hold of and turned his whole life around and, and took away that whole performance based uh, performance-based religion he, he said the first thing i did when god appointed me i didn't go to jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me he said instead i went at once to arabia what did he do the first thing he did was he got alone with god It's the very first thing he did. His whole life had been based on religious performance. And now his whole world had been shaken. He said, well, i got to get away and think about this a little bit. Because everything that I've lived for, every way that I've lived my life, everything that I've tried to do to get honor and and glory and favor with God is not working. He had to kind of just pull back for a little bit and do a little reorienting of his brain. It's one of the best things you can do. If you're stuck on that religious performance treadmill and it's taken away your life and it's taken away your freedom and it's taken away your relationship with God because you just feel like you've got to keep doing more to keep measuring up, the best thing you could do is get alone with God and just listen to His words of forgiveness and comfort and mercy and grace and love. About 20, 25 years ago, I heard someone say these words and I wrote them in my Bible and I've written them in every Bible that I've ever owned since. You might want to write this on the inside cover of your Bible. There is nothing that you can do that will make God love you any more than He already does. There is nothing you can do that will make God love you any more than He already does. And there is nothing that you can do that will make God love you any less than He already does. His love for you is complete and it's full and it doesn't depend on your performance. You need to hear those words this morning if you're stuck on that religious performance treadmill and stuck in that trap. The second trap that Paul talks about, very closely related, but instead of living trying to earn God's approval and God's favor, it's kind of more based on people. It's the people-pleasing trap. It's living out my faith based on the opinions or expectations of others. It's just as deadly a trap. But the shift now changes from, from performing to God and performing for God, it's performing for other people that are all around me. And we're susceptible to this because we all want to be liked. We all want to be accepted. We all want to get along. We all pretty much want to conform so we'll be you know accepted as a part of the group. Most of us live our lives that way. Although not everyone. This past Monday we... Um, my wife was off work, and uh, it was a beautiful Monday, it was the day after Easter, you know, we just we did a few chores in the morning and we decided, let's just go for a drive. So we got in the car and we just drove over to Marin County, you know, drove all around through, drove over to Tiburon, went to one of our favorite places, a little hole in the wall place called Sam's Anchor Cafe in Tiburon, and it's got a back deck that out, looks out over the marina, which can't be any better place in the world than in a marina, okay? And, and so and it's got this big back deck, and they serve lunch, and you can eat outside. It was a warm day, it was sunny, and, and it's a protected little cove. So we went to Sam's for lunch, and we got to Sam's, we got a nice little corner uh, table there right in the corner of the um, of the deck, outside deck, and we're sitting there, and we're enjoying our life, just soaking up the sun, it was just a beautiful day. And uh, we'd been there a little bit, uh, a little while, and another couple came, and they were seated at the table right next to us. And, and the sun was kind of off in this direction, and we were kind of facing this this way, and um, their table, you know, chairs faced each other this way, so they were kind of not towards the sun. So the husband kind of turns and turns his chair a little bit and just, you know, kind of want to soak in some rays. That's fine. Then after a while, he takes out his newspaper and he starts reading his newspaper and he rests his elbow on our table. Yeah. Being kind of a smart mouth myself, I turned to my wife and I said, I didn't realize we'd invited a third party to our lunch. I said it just loud enough that he heard it, because I saw he just kind of lifted his elbow off and pulled it in for a little bit. And he kept reading his paper, and then after a while, you know, he opened up the paper again to the next page, and, and he was starting to put, and he, and he stopped himself, and he just turned to us, and he said, would you mind if I rested my elbow on your table? And what am I going to say to that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're having a nice lunch. It's just the two of us. We're enjoying the day. It's just the two of us alone together, you know? This guy wants to put his elbow on our table. And I'd already kind of let him know what I thought about that idea, right? So he says, uh, would you mind if, if I just rest my elbow on your table? And I said, well, you know, actually I do. <laughs> and so he said, well, then what do you, what, what, um, what do you suggest that I do? Yeah. Well, I thought of a few things I could tell him. But I didn't say any of those. I just said, well, you know what? Why don't you just turn around, face your wife, and enjoy your meal with your wife, okay? So I can enjoy mine with mine. And he looked at me like I was just so rude to him. Now, most of us, we'd get a clue, you know? (laughs) I'm not talking about, you know, not having any social graces whatsoever. but, But... But this whole idea of living my life to please other people, that's wrong. Living by the people-pleasing trap. Doing things, even the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. Says, be careful of that. Because this is a very, very powerful one. You can get sucked in to doing all of the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. And what you do is just shut off the real growth of God in your life. Paul said, am I now trying to win human approval or am I trying to win God's approval? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. He says it's a trap and it's a direct opposition to this life of grace. And you've got to make a decision because you're going to serve people or you're going to serve God. You're either going to please people or you're going to please God because you can't do both. You just can't. And yet we get sucked into this whole what will people, uh, other people think idea. Dr. Daniel Amon, who is a psychiatrist, has written a number of books. And uh, he tells a story about um, being asked to come on Larry King Live. And so he was, he was in the green room waiting for his turn to kind of come on. And, um, and he, all of a sudden he got this huge panic attack. And he started thinking about this and he thought, what if I get up there and I forget my name? What if I forget all the information? What if I just my mind goes blank? And he started having this real serious panic attack. And, and the big thing about it, the bottom line he said, was I began to realize... I'm going to look like an idiot. What are people going to think of me when I get up there and blabber like an idiot? And then he said, I began to do what I tell all of my clients, all of my patients to do. He says, he calls it the 1840 60 principle. And it goes something like this. When you're 18 years old, all you care about is what other people think about you. And then when you get to be about 40 years old, you don't care quite so much what other people think about you. And by the time you turn 60 you realize, people don't think about you. (laughs) All of a sudden, it didn't matter what he looked like, you know? That's not a bad principle. Paul had his critics, and they kept saying, if you keep preaching this grace, you're making it too easy. You're making it too easy for people. Because if they know it's a free gift, and they know it's a life of freedom, then then what's going to motivate them to change? If you keep preaching this freedom stuff, nobody's going to make any difference in their life. After all, we have standards we have to uphold. How will we know if people are real or not? How will we know if they're really making progress in this life or not? you got to have standards. you got to have rules. We need conformity here. And Paul said, to do that would be a betrayal of the gospel of Christ. In fact, he said, I am so asto- I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Now notice what he says. He, says, he doesn't say, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the faith. Nor does he say, I'm, so, I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting my teachings. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one. The one who called you by the grace of Christ. It is to give up on God. It's to give up on His grace. And then when you do that, you've lost everything. Because it is Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us. To rescue us from all this. To rescue us from this present evil age. It was what Christ did for you, not what you're doing for yourself, not what anybody else expects you to do. It's what Christ has done for you. And anything else is a desertion of the gospel. It is a desertion of God himself. He says, be careful because it's a trap. And the best thing, if this is one that you struggle with, and you're just always trying to live up to everybody else's expectations, one of the best things that you can do is get yourself into genuine community. Four or five or six close, trusted friends where you can be yourself. It's why around here we encourage everybody to get plugged into a small group. Because, you know, you can come on a Sunday morning with three, four, five hundred people and do all the ritual and routine and have no real lasting change and transformation. And you can go through all the things that appear to be right and put up good appearances all the way around, but never be known and never really transform. But when you get in community, when you get in a small group, and you have to kind of let your guard down, you kind of got to let people see who you really are, because you can't cover it up up close. What you discover is you're in a group of people just like you with their own struggles and their own failures and their own frustrations. And in genuine community, what we do is we incarnate grace to one another. We share life with each other. And I am so grateful for my small group. Over the last year and a half, almost two years now that we've been together, we have grown deeply. And when someone's missing, we all miss them. And when somebody's struggling, we're all there to support and encourage and pray for. And, 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 there's, and it's, there's a dynamic that happens in that group that doesn't happen anywhere else. And if you're not plugged into community, if you're not building those kinds of relationships, you are missing something. The next thing that Paul did, the first thing he did, was he got away alone with God. He went off to Arabia where nobody was, knew him, where nobody was with him. But he says the second thing he did was, three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. Now, The word get to know or get acquainted in some of your translations, literally the Greek word is historial, which is where we get our English word history. They didn't go sit down and compare doctrine. He said, I got together with Peter to get to know him. What they did was they swapped stories. They talked about their lives. And we don't know what the conversation was like, but I have a feeling it was something like Paul asking Peter, so when was it that it first dawned on you what this was all about? When did you get it? Was it after the resurrection when, when, when Jesus met you on the seashore and he cooked you breakfast? And he said, follow me? How did it happen for you? You spent three years with him. How did it happen for you? And Peter would tell his story of three years of learning and not getting it and listening and not getting it. And then finally, oh, that's what he was talking about. And I'm sure Peter turned upon and said, So, what made a change for you? Because we know about you. You're the guy that's been persecuting everybody. You're the guy that's been arresting everybody and taking them off. What happened to you? You know, God knocked me off my high horse. I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I knew what it took. I was doing everything and I demanded everybody else do it too. And God just knocked me flat. Just knocked me flat. Because that's what it took for me. And I'm a little thick. And I'm sure that's what they did. Fifteen days. It says, Fifteen days. They shared life with each other. They shared their stories. And that's why community is so important. Genuine community gets rid of that people-pleasing trap. And the last trap that people fall into that keeps them from experiencing the life that God has for them is the regrets from my past trap. All of those past regrets you're held captive by past mistakes or, or maybe a reputation because of things that you've done in the past. Primarily, this one is motivated by guilt. And there's a difference, by the way, between guilt and shame. I talked about shame earlier. Shame is this general sense of heaviness and, and, and not measuring up. You can't really identify why. You just feel like you're not doing well enough. Okay? That's shame. Guilt has to do with very specific things. Actions or behaviors or things that you've done in your past, the things that you can't forget. And a lot of people are trapped by that kind of stuff. It's what we call in today's in today's everyday language baggage. (laughs) And Paul had a he had a trunk load of baggage. He says, You heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. Talk about baggage. As I stood in complete opposition to what God wanted to do in this world. And I tried to destroy the very thing that he had birthed. That's baggage. But if you read the Bible at all, you discover it is filled with people with baggage. (laughs) It is all about people with baggage. Jacob was a con man and a swindler. He was brought into God's family. Moses, the great giver of the law, was a murderer. King David, who reigned over the glory years of Israel's history, was an adulterer. And on and on and on the story goes. We've all got baggage. Paul had his baggage. You've got your baggage. I've got my baggage. But the good news is, God loved you even when. See, God loved you beforehand. And that's what Paul says. God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me. Did you notice that? God set me apart from birth. All that baggage, all that stuff that I did all along, God was loving me through all of that. Because He was loving me way back when. God loved me from birth. And that same thing is true about you and me. Yes, you have a past. Yes, your past is a part of the story, but it's only part of the story. And the truth is, had you not had that past, it could very well be that you would not have this present here and now. Because that's what God does. He takes our past and He makes it a part of our future. You probably get these in the mail. I get them all the time. Every day it seems like I get one. You are pre-approved. <laughs> you seen those? Pre-approved MasterCard, pre-approved Discover Card, pre-approved whatever, pre-approved home loans, pre-approved home equity loans, pre-approved line of credit, pre-approved, pre-approved. And then you go and you call them up and you say, okay, we'll fill in the application and send it in. I thought I was pre-approved. That is not how God's love works. You are pre-loved. Do you know what a position of strength you have when you go to buy a house and you've actually really been pre-approved for a loan? And you know exactly how much you're going to be able to borrow and how much you're going to be able to pay for that house. And you can go in and say, I can buy this house today. Man, you got all kinds of power and strength because you've been pre-approved. Paul says, you are pre-loved. You were pre-loved before all that other stuff happened before all those other mistakes and all that reputation that now you're having to live down, all of that stuff, God loved you before all of that. And He loved you all through it, and He loves you right now. That's His mercy. That's His grace. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. We are not something incidental to God's plan. We are not something that just happened along the course of certain biological going-ons in the human race. We are, each of us, set apart. We are pre-loved by God. We are called, invited. By His grace means that God does not look around to see who will best suit His purposes and then single them out because He's pretty sure they will do a good job. It means that God has a capacity so large in love and purpose that He calls us in order to do something for us. To give us something. To give us grace. And it doesn't matter what your past is. Or what baggage you might be carrying. Or what regrets or what reputation you're trying to live down. The truth of the matter is, he loved you long before all of that. And he never stopped loving you through it. He says, I gave my life so that you would know that. And I think the solution to dealing with our past and dealing with our regrets and our reputation is simply learn to live and grow in grace. To become grace livers. To become grace givers. To become people whose lives are so filled with grace that it's the only way you know how to respond. Just learn to live in the future. Not living in the past. The other thing that Paul did was Later, I went to Damascus. Where was Damascus? Damascus was the place that he was on his way to to arrest all these, all these um, Christians and take them off. Damascus was the scene of the crime, if you will. So he said, I had to go back and learn to live in Damascus. In fact, he says he lived there three years. He had a reputation in Damascus. He's going to have to go back and live now in grace. And then it says later on, that he went to the, t- to the areas of Syria and Cilicia. You know where Syria and Cilicia are? Just hometown. That's where Tarsus is. Saul of Tarsus. That's the guy. He goes back to the scene of the crime. Then he goes back to his hometown. He says, i got a lot of unliving to do. I've got a lot of new living to do. And i got to do it in front of the people that I did the other stuff with. And that's really the solution. You can't go and undo your past. But what you can do is live a new future. And that's what the grace of God is all about. That's what living freely is all about. Slowly, three years, five years, however long, slowly learning to live out this grace each day. In the weeks ahead, we're going to talk a little bit more about that because Paul goes on and writes about this freedom that we have. And he says, now, be careful not to let that freedom become just self-indulgence because that's another trap. We're going to talk about that down the road. But how do you allow live this life? Knowing the traps that are set before you, know the things that you tend to slip into, how do you move forward out of that? Well, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look a little bit more at how that happens. But this morning, what I want you to hear are these words from Paul that God, in his love and mercy, invited you to share the eternal life that He gives. He's invited you to share in this free, eternal life that He gives freely. Would you bow your heads with me? I'd like to give you a moment to reflect on these words. And I'd like you to kind of ask yourself, what is it that keeps you slipping back into those old traps? What is it tends to pull you back into that religious performance trap? What is it that keeps pulling you back into that people-pleasing trap? What is it about your past that keeps coming up and you keep beating yourself up over it and you're not forgiving yourself for the things that God has already forgiven you for? What is it that keeps you from living this life of freedom? Whatever it is, get along with God. Just listen to His words of acceptance, and grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love. And listen to Him when He says, there's nothing you're going to do that's going to make me love you any less or any more than I already do. Hear those words. And I strongly encourage you to get connected in some genuine community. A group of close friends that you can develop relationship with and be yourself and, 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 and know that we're all in this together. Someone that you can incarnate grace with on a regular basis. And most importantly, today, let go of your past. The grace of God covers everything. And all he says is, trust me. I've already done it for you. Put your faith and your trust in me. Let me undo the past. Let me give you a new life from here on out. Just take a deep breath right now. Just breathe in. Let it out. Something so freeing, so life-giving about a breath like that. Paul said, it's a life in the Spirit. The Spirit is just like the air you breathe. Bring it in. Let Him out. Bring Him in. Let Him out through you. It's the life of freedom that God designed for you to have. Don't settle for anything else. Lord, let Your mercy and Your grace whisper truth to our hearts this morning. Let your love and your forgiveness, let your acceptance be known in the deepest levels of our being. Make us aware of these traps and catch ourselves when we start slipping into them. Because to go down those roads and to to get sucked into those things is to miss the life that you have for us. And we don't want to miss a bit of that. Keep showing your grace Keep whispering your love Keep letting us know Your forgiveness As we put our faith And our trust in you And we learn to love Accept and forgive others In Jesus name For his for his kingdom's sake We pray this Amen Let's stand together